Tonight's program is brought to you by the China Hockey Group. The CHG is a family-oriented group of ice hockey leagues, training programs, and community initiatives geared at developing ice hockey in Hong Kong and southern China. Established in 2011, the CHG is comprised of various programs for players of all levels. From the exceptional Junior Tigers program, the HKBN Island League, the Learn to Play and Learn to Skate programs, all the way up to their adult leagues, which include the SCIHL, for those looking for a fun recreational experience, and the CIHL, which is the only elite full contact adult hockey league. If you're looking for some hockey equipment, or if you even need your skates sharpened, stop by the CHG showroom in Central, an exclusive reseller of Warrior and Power equipment. For more information about their programs, check out their website at ChinaHockeyGroup.com. That's ChinaHockeyGroup.com. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to Across the Pond, Hong Kong's first and only hockey podcast. My very special guest today grew up in Spruce Grove, Alberta, and happens to be the first goalie I've had on the show. He's played 144 games in the NHL with the Leafs, Kings, Oilers, and Habs. He's a Cornell graduate, Hobie Baker finalist, and represented Canada at the World Cup and Olympic Games. He's now retired as a player, but continues to contribute to the game he loves by working with the Alumni Association of the NHL and doing some coaching in Edmonton. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Ben Scrivens. Ben, how you doing, bud? I'm doing well. I thought there was going to be like a, a like a laugh track and a generated applause or something like that. Well, now that you said that, my editor is going to put it in. <laughs> thanks, no, Paul. No, no, don't do that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need that. No, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is fun. I'm really looking forward to this. As I said, my first morning podcast and... Uh, first uh first goalie so this is exciting um so let's get right into it um we all know that everyone has a different path getting to the nhl and i'd love to hear how yours started uh so tell me a little bit about when you began playing hockey and and uh your hometown yeah um so i was born in calgary but moved up to spruce grove when i was you know four or five um and started playing in you know the minor hockey system there uh didn't score any goals in Tom Thumb, so naturally gravitated towards playing. If I couldn't score, I was I made it my mission to stop people, whether it was playing defense or or uh, being a net. Uh, I got some enjoyment out of making people <laughs> be upset about not scoring in the same way yeah. that I was. Yeah, and then yeah, it just kind of took on a life of its own. I uh, was fortunate to have um, some some coaches along the way who uh, who spent their time. Uh, their energy, their, their gas money, um, yeah. you know, driving to all of the, the, um, rinks in the middle of nowhere. Um, and, you know, spending their time to, to help me, uh, get a foundation in the game. And, um, truthfully, I was, a, I was a late bloomer, So I was, uh, yeah. you know, just minor hockey pretty much until I was 16 or 17. Um, you know, I played triple or double a hockey all the way up. Uh, my last year of midget was the first time that I played triple a hockey. Um, okay. and then from there played junior a the next two years and then college after that, and then signed my pro contract. So, um, definitely a late bloomer. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was nice to be able to, to stay at home. You know, I played with enough guys who moved away at, you know, 14, 15, 16 to play, 
you know, uh, whether it's Notre Dame or, or, you know, playing major junior or, or you know, doing all, all of the stuff that some guys need to do or want to do to, you know, to get seen and, and to further their careers. But I was really fortunate to be able to spend time at home. Yeah. Um, and, you know, got a really good group of, of high school friends that uh, um, really helped keep me grounded when I was playing. That's that's cool. And then, that, you know, it takes it takes a takes a whole community to get you there. And um, were you uh, at the time when you obviously you didn't get drafted into the CHL and that that didn't slow you down. But what was there? A, was there an aspect of like, I got to get over this hump and find another way? Not really. Uh, like. I'm sure you've had other guys on and and you've heard other guys talk about like, yeah, I always dreamed of playing in the NHL. Like yeah. I was always a hockey fan and like I had all the Rock'em Sock'em hockey yeah. movies and, and, you know, I enjoyed playing hockey, go to the Oilers games whenever I could. Uh, but I didn't, I truly didn't have like a dream of playing in the NHL. I, I, um, it was always like playing the next year. Um, yeah. and I don't know, I don't know where that came from. Like it certainly didn't start out as like a purposeful approach to development. I, in hindsight, it it definitely served me well to not get like frustrated with the lack of, you know, you get cut from this team, you get cut from that team and then get frustrated. And it takes you, you know, a month or two to, to find your bearings again, um, playing on whatever team you you landed up on. So, um, which isn't to say it it was easy to be cut and I didn't care. It was, uh, it just like, again, it it was kind of like year by year. Um, I don't think I knew about the Bantam draft when I was at that age. Like it, I get, I was playing double a hockey in, in the rural leagues in, in Alberta. It was, um, yeah, nothing that was like even on my radar truthfully. And, uh, the same thing with the NHL draft. Like I remember a scout from uh, Phoenix came and watched me after I committed to Cornell, uh, like the next game. And yeah. uh, he, I don't know why he did. I can't remember what the, who the scout was, but he came and introduced himself before the game. And like, Hey, like I'm from Phoenix. I'm going to be watching the game today. And like, I gave up five. I was like, why would you ever do that to a Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. No, no pressure. Yeah. No yeah. pressure. I'm here to watch. And you're like, yeah. So, but like, that's obviously putting it on him. It was on me to perform and, um, ended up working out in the way that it did. Um, so I was, you know, even the NHL draft, I, I didn't have, I was playing junior a, I had, was a backup the year before, um, had just committed to Cornell. So, uh, I remember, uh, committing and, and being like, Oh, maybe I'll play like a dozen games. For some reason I had 12 in my head. Maybe I'll play a dozen games to be able to, yeah. you know, tell my kids I was a division one athlete and, and yeah. go from there. So, um, yeah, like the, the Bantam draft, all those drafts, I feel bad for the kids now. Like I do some work at a, at a junior high school, uh, here in, in Edmonton and, like you see, like the Bantam draft happens and like, you see some kids that just like take it really hard where they went, if they even went. Um, yeah. and you know, I, I don't know that it does everybody a service, right? And right. like, you can go through, you can go through the ban like all of the Bantam like draft picks for the last, what is it? 20 years or something, however long they've yeah. had it. Yeah. Like the WHL anyway. And like in the first round, there's some years, there's like three guys that play in the NHL. And some yeah. of those guys are 12 games 
Um, other years it's a, you know, it's a little heftier, but still there's like a spattering that play that kind of have that cup of coffee. Um, and so it's really hard to teach kids that it doesn't matter that much in the moment. Um, because it feels like it matters that much, but it's, it's partly like the emphasis that we as adults and, and overseers of the game, um, you know, place importance on and and the kids feed off of that. So you know, whether it's the draft, whether it's, um, world juniors, whether, you know, there's a lot of things that we as adults do to put extra pressures on kids. And I don't think it serves them all that well, but no, well, it sounds like you're, you were pretty level-headed about your expectations as a kid, but today parents and coaches put so much pressure on kids at such a young age and it just, it doesn't get any easier for them. And they think they're going to be in the NHL when they're 12 years old and, it just doesn't usually work that way. Yeah. And like, this isn't meant to like rip on, par- like every parent wants the best for their kids. So it's not even done maliciously. Yeah. No, when, not at all. And when I, yeah, when I say like, it comes from a place of ignorance, ignorance yeah. it has such a negative connotation, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, you're, you're purposefully doing it. But yeah. ignorance just means like a lack of knowledge. Exactly. Right? And it's, yep. hard, it's hard to know what you don't know. Like I'm fortunate yeah. to have gone through a lot of the different ranks and played at a bunch of different levels. And so I have, you know, uh, learned experience of what's important and what's not. And so I, I have maybe a more balanced approach to it, but if, yeah, but if we're talking about golf or we're talking about, uh, being a lawyer, we're ta- like, I, that's out of my depth of knowledge. So I'm ignorant right. in what it takes to be successful in those right. things. And it doesn't mean it's not a de- detractor from me as a person. It yeah. just means that I just don't have that that knowledge base, but when it comes to how we're like shepherding our kids, um, you know, again, every kid, every parent just wants the best for their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just hard. It's hard for the parents to also understand that like the draft doesn't mean that much. Um, right. you know, I, I tend to use the analogy of like you're a musician, you don't pick up, you don't put your kid in, in guitar lessons or piano lessons so that they'll be the next you know, Elton John or Adele or, or Jimmy Page, you put them in it so that they can learn a skill, learn about stick-to-itiveness and, you know, start a band with their friends. And all of a sudden it's a social experience, right. Um, And teaches them skill sets for life. That, that to me is my approach for, for hockey and sports in general is like, let's teach you how to work in a group. Let's teach you how to sacrifice, um, you know, work harder, have fun, while you're working hard because those things Mm go really well uh, hand in hand and you know and then you just keep trying and keep going if it works it works and if not you know as long as you're not tying your identity to that success or failure you're going to be a a more well-rounded person on on the outside or on the back end of it so yeah i couldn't agree more and you know those were the things that my dad taught me growing up my mom and dad um, yeah, so I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, to go back to what you said about that scout from Phoenix, it sounds like he might have heard wind that you were going to Cornell and somebody didn't want to miss out on an opportunity to, uh, to you know, get a, get a look at you. So uh, d- when you went to Cornell, did you have other schools in mind or was it, was it was it always just wherever the best opportunity came from? I mean, that was, yeah, that was it. It was uh, my first year starting in, in junior A. Um, and I had a couple schools come out and talk to me, um, kind of let me know that I was on their radar. Um, but Cornell was the first school to offer me a spot. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't, 
I didn't hesitate and wait around and like, Oh, let's see what all we can get. Yeah. Um, it's a great school. Um, you know, obviously, uh, a, a pedigree of goalies that come that came yeah. out of there. Um, you know, they were always competitive, uh, nationally. Uh, so it, it married so many of the important things for me, uh, as far as an option for school. And again, like I went there for the education. I didn't think yeah. I, I didn't have expectations or playing. I didn't have that dream of like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, compete for the best player in, in the country, being all American. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. I'll be able to tell my kids, I, I, you know, achieve this modicum of success. And, yeah. um, yeah, I was really fortunate with how, for me, how things played out and, um, yeah, it, it, uh, especially as I look back in hindsight, it, uh, I have a lot of gratitude for how things played out for me and, and it gives me good perspective when things both go right for me in the future and, and also when things don't end up how I, I hope they would, um, yeah. you know, a lot of great teammates and how they handled themselves in adversity, um, you know, are, are good, have become good role models for me, especially at such a young age. Right. So yeah, yeah really fortunate. That is, that is really cool because, uh, when you look at your college career, um, you did really well right away. And like the proof's in the pudding. Like if you look at 09, you won like six or seven awards, first team all-star, best goals against, best save percentage, Hobie Baker finalist, tournament MVP. Like how did that happen for you? Like who were the guys in your life? Who was their goalie coach or your mentors that helped you balance between, you know, getting an Ivy League education and still being able to to contribute at such a high level on the ice? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think like I was, I was working as far as goalie coach as a, I was working with uh, Dustin Schwartz. He was up and coming in Edmonton at that time. Um, him and, uh, and Lyle Mast were kind of, as far as I'm concerned, kind of leading the charge and kind of come up with the, the science and the, um, the methodology behind uh, head trajectory um, and so I was really fortunate that like, it just happened to be in my backyard, um, and was able to work with Schwartz and, and Lyle and, and really incorporate that into my game. Um, so just in like a technical aspect, uh, you know, I, a lot of credit goes to those two guys as far as helping me to, um, to hone my, hone my craft. Um, and I think, you know, you credit to like, uh, coach Schaefer, uh, Brent Brecky was a coach for half my time there. Uh, Casey Jones afterwards, Scott Garrow recruited me. Like I owe, I owe a ton to Scott Garrow, who was the assistant coach there. Uh, he and I had a great rapport there. Um, he was kind of the guy that I felt comfortable going to, you know, good, bad, you know, he was quick with a joke, uh, you know, just like the epitome of what that assistant coach role is. Right. Um, so he was really helpful in, in like stabilizing, I think for me, uh, but collectively the, the coaching staff created an environment and, and that's kind of what the program does. Right. And w- whether it's Cornell or, or any of the other successful programs in college hockey is you have a group of seniors that lead the way for, you know, the juniors, sophomores, freshmen. And then mm-hmm. when those freshmen become seniors, Right. Over time, they have like Im- they have learned to embody what it means to work hard, stay on top of your school. Um, you know, you're not taking shortcuts. You're not um, you're self-sacrificing off the ice for you right. know, the success of the team as a whole. 
Um, so I, you know, to teammates, I think the, the guys in my class, um, you know, we're, we're taking classes together, helping each other with homework, going to the rink, traveling together, living together, mm-hmm. cleaning houses together. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> um, you're, you're like your roommates, your teammates, your classmates, you're all those things together. And so having a, a really fortunate, the, the five guys that I was with for the majority of, of my time there, like we, we really bonded well, still good friends today. Um, and yeah, like we looked out for each other, but also like held each other accountable, I think. And yeah. that, uh, that goes a long way when, um, you know, you take it out of the coaching staff's hands or, or the captain's hands and you're, you know, mm-hmm. you, you're working for that guy. And you know that if you let him down, um, it, it's going to sit with you more it's than personal. anything else. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. And vice versa, right? Like if he yeah. does something dumb, you got to have that, that strong relationship where you can be like, Hey man, like what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And, and know that he's going to be able to do that to you. And and you're not like taking it personally or, or getting too defensive in the long term. It's, it's all, you know, because we cared about each other. So, yeah, so you're, you've been known uh, throughout your career as someone who really studies the position, like uh, you're like an astute student of the, of the technical parts of being a goalie. And I have a couple of goalie friends here in Hong Kong who, uh, who were really nice and sent me out uh, some, some questions that they wanted to ask you. Uh, Antoine and Craig, Craig, thanks for doing that. Um, A lot of their question was based on the mental part of being a goalie, mental preparation, visual focus and concentration. Were there things that you, the, like the position has evolved so much over the years. Were there things that you were doing in college that you continued to do to prepare for a game, to stay focused during a game? Any tricks or, or you know, rituals or things that you did to, to uh, stay on top of that? Oh, this okay. This one might be a long answer. <laughs> I love it. Because they yeah, take your time. Then- as evidenced by my past uh, easy softballs, this one might be might get yeah. lengthy, but yeah, I think that there's like there's a there's a couple parts. I, your question was, did I start with some things in college and continue that on? Yeah, uh, I definitely did. Um, it like almost anything else, it's it was things that I built up over the course of my career, and a lot of it is trial and error. Right, mm-hmm. I heard about this thing, I tried to do it it didn't work, but this aspect of it did. So I'm going to keep that and, you know, excise the rest. Um, but as I look back now, um, I understand more about why the things I was doing were helpful, even though I didn't understand why they were help. I just knew they were helpful when I was doing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like our, our, capa- our capacity to make decisions and to hold a whole bunch of information in our head at one time is limited. So mm-hmm. like simplicity is really helpful. Uh, I kept my, like my mental cues to like three. So okay. I would go into a game uh, with like three cues and the cues were simple. They were um, like in the golf. There's a, there's so many parallels between uh, golf psychology and goaltending in particular. Yeah. Um, like one shot at a time, like all, their parallels are, are innumerable. Um, but like keeping things simple and positive, right? Like if you're standing over your, your ball on a tee box and there's water on the left, if you're saying don't hit it left, yeah. your brain yeah. is going to hear your left, right? So yeah. right is safe, right? That's the positive way to go. Right. And that's 
the kind of the state that you put your mind into. So similar things like that, like uh, top of my crease, on my toes, uh, you know, puck on puck on the stick. So it was like a, all of the stuff that would get me in position to let my body take the take over once a shot. Because you're not thinking when a shot comes, you're just no. re- reacting. Yeah. Um, so my cues were, were, yeah, I kept it to three. Um, they were really simple and focused on like the pot, like the things that I could control. Um, and like, again, as I played longer and, and, uh, read more and like understood it more, it made sense why those things were really helpful. So I continued those things on, um, as I got older, I realized more and more about efficiency in the position. Mm. Uh, and, and that being said, like I wasn't the most efficient, like Carrie price probably was the model for like efficiency. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of guys are like Patrick was model of efficiency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those types of guys, I have a lot of respect for, um, because they, I'm a huge proponent of work hard, not work smart, not hard. Um, working hard for the sake of working hard is like, makes you feel like you're doing a lot, but it may not at, at best it helps you, right? You're right. working yeah. hard and you're, you're getting better, right? Most of the time, if you're not being purposeful about what you're doing, you're probably just being neutral or being like some gains, but it might, might not even be the gains that you're trying to get. And at worst you're like working hard, but reinforcing bad habits. So like just to work hard is not, not the be all and end all like I love purposeful that. practice. And I think the game has come a long way in that regard. Um, you know, you're not just like bagging yourself to bag yourself. Yeah. It's like, you know, rest is a weapon, uh, you know, use it to your advantage. Um, trying to have a plan going into a drill so that you know that, that you're focusing on the right part. And then <clears throat> again, later in my career, to look back and I think it ties into my upbringing and, and what we had already talked about in, uh, in my like early years of like not looking too far ahead, I got much better. And I think I had like an innate knack for like goal. Like I knew goals were going to go in. I didn't think mm-hmm. I was superhuman. Um, you know, I was just trying to like play the best that I could. And so like, I knew goals were going to go in. Um, so I, I didn't get like overly rattled mm-hmm. when, I would get scored on like certain times or certain arenas or whatever, where you just have like, uh, anxiety or or whatever sort of like emotions are coming up. Mm -hmm. But by and large that, like that detachment from results was super helpful for me to, that's a really good point. Yeah. To have a mindset around process instead of results. Like I preach that all day and all night to my, to any kids that I work with. Right. Mm -hmm. Like go up to them day one do I care if you get scored on? No, I don't care that you get scored on. Like if we're yeah. working, eventually the thing, good things are going to happen for you. Yeah. Um, but if we're just like so adamant and like, that's why it, it pains me to, uh, especially young kids, um, where they get a goal scored on slam their sticks and, blah, and right. it's like, I get the drive and I get, I'm competitive. I, I hate losing. Um, yeah. but I, it, like it's not it's not helpful to like be that fixated on results um so yeah I, like i would say those 
some of them were purposeful in the moment. Some of them I recognize after why they were so helpful, but like simplicity. Uh, oh, the other piece about um, like the the three whatever cues that I had, mm-hmm. um, they were like changing all the time. So like okay. if I started to slip in practice, it was like I would try to reanalyze my game to figure out where my uh, where the like breakdown was happening. And so mm. if I'm, if I'm on my toes, like, and I'm feeling confident, but I'm still getting, you know, I'm, I'm behind on plays or whatever, then there's just something else to like redirect my attention on. And so like, mm. I'll cut, I'll cut the part that I'm feeling confident in. I gotcha. Just something else. Yeah. And like, so it's kind of this like con- continual shifting of like where my attention is. But by doing that, I was constantly evaluating mm. um, my, like, again, my process. Um, and I think it was really important to like, not be superstitious of like superstition is, is I try to talk everybody. I talk every goalie I talk to out of it. Superstition is just doing something for the sake of doing it. And again, if you're a superstitious person, Mm -hmm. you, you complete all of your routine or all of your like things, the best case scenario is you're neutral. Right. Right. Cause a superstition is, is doing everything to prevent you from like dipping, right? Like, mm-hmm. Oh, it's going to be bad luck if I don't do that. So if I don't do it, I'm going to be bad. But if I do do it, I'm not good. I'm just normal. And yeah. so you, you create a whole bunch of, and again, it gets back to that, like how much mental capacity do we have? And is it better spent on superstitions? Or is it better spent on like, what is it that I actually have control over that is demonstrably going to help my game? So, well, that was a fantastic well, answer. I, I mean, you, you, a rambling response. No, that was perfect. Yeah. You hit, yeah, you hit everything there. Um, <laughs> there was one thing though, the pregame getting ready um, aspect. Yeah. Um, was there a couple of drills or things you did? Cause sometimes you'll see guys that like to go out and sit on the bench and look around the rink and you'll see their eyes going, or some guys got the tennis balls going or, you know, like, mm. what was it you could do to get your visual tracking um, sharp before a game? Um, you know, I'll, I'll preface this by saying, like, I think there are guys who do this better than I do. Um, okay. So like my approach probably could have been, um, you know, helped in some capacity. Cause like, I don't, um, I'm not, I'm not in the hockey hall of fame. Like there, hmm. there are better goaltenders out there than I am. Um, so there are parts of my games that like were deficient in some capacity. Um, what I tried to get to as far as like the point in, in my career and the point in my game was I didn't, I didn't need the warm up. If I could go into any situation and be there and just play, mm-hmm. then I, then I no longer have the excuses of, Oh, the bus showed up late or, you know, guys are shooting high in warm up, and I'm not feeling, I'm not getting any shots or, you know, I'm just not feeling it off the wall. Right. As far as like juggling or, or whatever the thing is, I think there's, there's like routines that we can do to get our body go like, and again, they're like every, uh, anybody who's done any sort of like kinesiology can like tell us how to like warm our bodies up. Yeah like prime our, our nervous system to like respond appropriately. That's, that is not, I think what we're talking about. 
I think or what I heard in your question was, how can I train my eyes so that I feel ready so that yeah. I'm like tracking well once I get in the game? Mm -hmm. And my my approach was like, it, you shouldn't have to do that. Okay. Like, <clears throat> if you are, it, like 90% of goaltending is pre-shot work. So like, are you in position? Are you set? Are you set early on shots? Have mm -hmm. you got your, your weak side look, right? Mm -hmm. And then from there, it's like, as far as head trajectory goes, like, am I, are my eyes in the center of my head looking out? If I'm back and looking down my eyes or down my nose at a puck, I don't have very good visual acuity. Right. Um, yeah. If I'm like if my head going up and down yeah. as I'm moving across the ice, it's, it's just, it creates more information for my brain, my brain to process, which takes away its ability to do what it's supposed to be doing, which is making a save. Right. Yeah. So, like i think you, uh, whatever you do it that like it doesn't matter to a degree because once a game starts like good warm up bad warm up like you, you still have to play and so yeah. if you if i as a goalie starts um giving myself excuses for for not playing well because x didn't go well i did, i'm not i'm not tracking well okay well yeah. So don't track well, but still like figure out how you're going to make some saves. Cause like, that is the biggest thing in the pro game is like, you get a guy like what did Kiprasov play that year? 72 or something, 72 yeah. or 73 games. Like, there's no chance he felt good every game. Right. No. Guys are playing 60 games a night against, I mean, the, the skill in the NHL is absurd. This like at this point in, in where the game's at, like guys, just, you're not feeling good every game. If that, if that's the case, I mean, you're, you're you should never lose a game, right? Yeah. Um, true. You're doing everything you can to feel good, but mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, you gotta be a realist about, um, you know, where we're at and yeah. like do what you can trial and error. Uh, you know, if you want to just do like quick eye movement, if you want to do juggling, just don't get married to it as, as if like, if I don't do this, I'm going to not have my visual attachment ready. Right. So that, when you can get to a place where you could almost, again, without being dangerous about your body and like risking injury, you can step on the ice and play. Yeah. That's, that's kind of like my approach to it, which again, prefaced by there's guys out there that have like yeah. better goaltending skills. So maybe there's, there's an answer that I'm, I'm, that I'm ignorant to, but like, as far as just practicality, like you gotta be able to just play at some point too. That's interesting because I think the whole head level and eye level thing, it's a crosses over into a lot of different sports. Like mm -hmm. a, fo a football receiver doesn't run with his hands up in the air waiting to catch mm -hmm. the ball. He's got to do that at the last second. An outfielder in baseball is not running with, with his arms because it, it changes your whole like your your mm -hmm. whole peripheral vision and and your 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 eyes are bouncing. So yeah, that's really interesting about the eye level thing. And um throughout your career, you've been known as like a meticulous tweaker of your gear um <laughs> like a Belfour or a timmy t uh this is a question yeah. from craig so he wants to know how the professor strap developed uh professor strap developed um and explain what it is if you don't mind for the listeners yeah no problem uh it's uh 
I didn't come up with the name. Um, it was attributed to me um, through like the requests that I made through Vaughn and, and the guys at Vaughn have always been great about like hearing what I'm going for and like not mm -hmm. being like, no, no, you're getting the stock pad. Let's figure <laughs> yeah. out. We're always great. Um, in, in like, uh, in working with me and, and trying to get me the gear that I thought was going to be most helpful. So, um, it started in college, um, like college hockey, order your gear. You could like change the sizes, but like, you know, at that point, again, I was like, I was the second or third goalie on, on the team. So I wasn't getting like, you know, the, this star treatment or whatever. So right. I would get gear and then I would like cut things out and I would work with, I had a great rep or a great relationship with, uh, our equipment guy there, Pedro, and he, he and I just like, you know, he gave me free reign. Like, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I would, I ended up hollowing out a lot of the, the leg channel of the pad. Um, yeah. and like felt as I would do that and each subsequent year added a little bit changing how I wanted, like where I wanted the weight of the pad to sit, like what's, mm. which, which straps were tight, which weren't. Um, so by the time, like making my own knees, knee straps, uh, or sorry, knee pads and knee guards so that. I could wear them in a way that, um, that meshed with my pads. And when I could do that, then I could have my pads a lot straighter because right. I wasn't using the overlap of the pads to protect my knees. I could, you know, have my yeah. knee blocks, you know, corral more rebounds. Uh, like there was like a bit of a method to it, but again, a lot of trial and error. Yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, it wasn't until, um, probably my, I would want to say it was like my second year pro um, that I started talking to them about like how I wanted the pad to sit. I was, I had that the calf strap. So that uppermost leather strap on the back of the calf um, was um, stitched into the outside uh, of the leg channel. Yeah. So like call it like 11 inches apart. Right. Okay. And so it was like sewn in there, sewn in there. And I, had it strapped and I like had it reefed pretty good. Cause that's where, like, that's where I got the feeling that I wanted it to sit was yeah. on my weight on my calf, not on my toes, not on my boots, but mm -hmm. like, you know, basically right behind my knee. But when I, especially over time, as I was like tightening it, the, the pad was starting to like bow with it. Mm -hmm. And so it was like wrapping around. So making the pad a little bit smaller. Um, so I asked if I could, Hey, how can we bring this in? And so we did a couple iterations and they ended up putting the strap through the, the, um, like around on the face of the pad. Like if you, if you look at the old, like Vaughn pads from 1980, you know how the pad, the strap goes all the way through the pad around the front and right. then back through. Yeah. They basically yeah. did that, but they kept it under the face, under that leather face. Um, and then, yeah, we just like kind of adjusted the width and it en ended up getting to a place where it was like, it was through the pad it was, or it was through the front, uh, padding material all the way it was on my calf. And then I could like, you know, just hold the weight of the pad on that, on that calf. And the re I, by the end of my career, I could, I could have played with, I could have played with two straps on my pads. The rest wow. were just like just in case, right, right. type of idea. But I could have gone with a toe, my like toe bridge, 
and I yeah. could have gone with a calf strap and that was all I needed, quote unquote. That's really interesting because uh, you often see now like everything snaps and buckles now. To be, mm-hmm. Everything's a little bit different now, but some guys have them so loose and you, yeah, you notice that they're not even really doing much. They're I, just there. I mean, it is, it is personal preference. I, I would not presume to tell anybody to wear it like I like it just because I like it. Um, that being said, I could not imagine <laughs> how awful it would feel to just have like loose equipment for me. Right. It's like a trust thing, right? Like how do mm-hmm. I, I can't trust that my pads are going to fall the same way each time if they're just like right. floppy, but, um, but like a lot of really good goaltenders wear loose, loose fitting gear and it's yeah. like, it works for them. So yeah. more power to you. Well, thanks for sharing that. And thanks for the question, Craig. Appreciate it. Wheel Hub Asia is committed to building community and bringing accessibility to inline hockey players in Southeast Asia. They've just started a new program called Three Inline, which is Hong Kong's first three-on-three inline hockey league. Wheel Hub Asia stands for professionalism and collaboration. For inline hockey players, by inline hockey players. For all your inline hockey needs, head to their website at wheelhubasia.com. Um, so let's get back to your playing days a little bit. You, um, After university, things seemed to happen really fast. A short stint in the coast, uh, played an all-star game there. The next year, you're the top goalie in the AHL. Um, how did that process happen so quickly? I mean, the reality is it didn't feel quick. You know, right. you get sent, down, you get sent down to the coast and you're down there for three and a half or two and a half months, a couple call-ups here and there for a weekend. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't, <clears throat> the, the length of days are the same. And so it doesn't right. feel, I mean, it's like anything. It's really tough to judge progress on like a day by day basis. And that's right. like the perception that we have. So mm-hmm. in hindsight, definitely was like a, um, a J curve to a degree. Yeah. Um, but in the moment it like, it, it was like part of the grind. It was, yeah. you know, uh, Frank Francois Lair was, uh, our goalie coach in Toronto. And when I first got, I had a, I had a great rookie camp. Um, okay. like I thought I, I was told by players that like one of the best you're, goalies in camp. You're the guy. Yeah. I mean, not really like I'm, I'm, not naive. And I wasn't naive enough then to think that like, Oh, I had like a good camp and they're going to like wave JS or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Um, but like basically like validated that, like, Hey, I can play here. I'm like good, good enough. My like skill level is there. Um, so I was, I was disappointed when I got sent to, uh, Reading instead of feeling like I earned a spot in with the Marlies, but you know, they, there's a, uh, just the nature of how the the politics of of uh, professional hockey. We had a Finnish guy who you know is massive individual, good guy, but he of the Europeans oftentimes have um, the a bit of a power a trump card in that they can say, oh, okay, well I'm going to go back to I'm going to go back to Finland then. I'll make. 150 grand there, whatever they make. Yeah. Um, they're going to be a local. They'll speak their own language. Yeah. If, if you try to send them to the coast, they'll just say, yeah, 
nah, it's not worth it. I'm not, I didn't come to North America and I get that. Like, yeah, I wouldn't 100%. want to travel to another continent to go play, you know, so, you know, it, at a level that is now two steps away from the, the true goal, which is the NHL. So, but yeah. for me being a North American, I didn't have the luxury of that. And I was undrafted and, um, you know, it just, it was the, the way it was. And so Frankie, um, sat me down when I, like he was in, in the meeting as part of it. We talked afterwards and he was like, you, you got to bring your head with your body, right? Like, don't go to the coast. Don't be thinking like checking the scores of the age hill to see if somebody played well or played poorly or who did somebody get hurt or whatever, like go down there and play, like bring yeah. your mind with you, bring your mind with your body. That's some of the best advice I got. I didn't realize how, uh, uh, how prescient he was at the moment. Uh, but that's what a good coach does. Right. So yeah, hundred percent was able to just go down there and enjoyed my time with the guys, uh, in Reading, um, like a good group, a, a good group, uh, it's a different style of hockey. So, uh, I got a lot of shots. I was able to, you know, play big minutes and I was able to like get into games pretty easily and consistently. Cause you're like, you know, playing on a, a team that gives up 16 against, uh, that's, you know, you're kind of waiting eight yeah. minutes before your first shot. Right. So, um, that certainly helped my, my save percentage. And, and then from there, um, you know, second half of the year, that was when Reimer went up, uh, with, right. um, with the Leafs. And so that, uh, created a vacuum for me to, to step up. And I got some chances in, in, uh, the AHL to play and it performed well. And, you know, from there it was just kind of continuing to battle for, for playing time and ice time. And, um, again, some great coaching, uh, mm -hmm. whether it was with Frankie or, uh, Dallas Eakins was our coach in, in the, for the Marlies that year. Mm -hmm. Fantastic guy, fantastic human being, right. um, playing for him. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, was just able to, not dissimilar from my time at, at university. I was uh, part of a, a good group of guys and we were able to like hold each other accountable and, and work hard together. And we liked each other and, um, you know, form or came, came together. We, we made a, a run to the color cup final, lost to lots to a Norfolk team that had like a 34 game winning streak that year. So we, Oh, wow. It, it wasn't in the stars. That was, uh, John Cooper right before he went up, uh, and took oh, over the helm in yeah. Tampa. Um, uh, Johnson was there. Palat was there. Um, uh, oh, Gudis was there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just a, a, a really, really well coached team. A lot of really, you know, quality players. Um, was Kalorn there? Kalorn might've been on the team. Uh, yeah. Don't quote the Halifax boy, Nova Scotia. Yeah. A uh, Harvard guy. Ugh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so you finally get that call, Ben. Um, you get to play your first NHL game for like one of the most storied franchises. Uh, I believe you, you won your first game, a 4-1 win, if I if I can mm -hmm. remember correctly. Uh, tell me about that, ex that whole experience for you. Yeah, so it was it was my second call up. Um my first, but my first ever game I dressed was at the bell center. Oh, wow. Um, it was, yeah, that was fantastic. And, uh, uh, I think, I think Jiggy was coming back from an injury. So he, he was like with the team, but didn't dress. Uh, he was like, was this his groin maybe? I'm not too sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got a chance. I got called up and got a chance to like dress and, um, 
I think I maybe backed up two or three games. Um, one of them was in Atlanta too. So I was thrashers. Got, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how old I am. Yeah. <laughs> I got, got the game against Atlanta. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, um, when I, when I got my next call up and I think Reimer was, was Reimer hurt? Yeah, it was Reimer went down. Um, and this was the next year. Uh, so like my first yeah. call up was my rookie year. Yeah. And so it wasn't until next year and it was Reimer and Gustafson were the, the two guys in Toronto and Reimer got hurt. Um, and so I came up uh, and I think, I think Jonas had, he played like four or five in a row. Um, and it was like, you're sitting there, like I'm trying not to make waves, just trying to like work hard in practice and, mm-hmm. you know, wondering if, if rhymes is going to be okay, how long he's going to be out for, but you're not like, you don't want to be looking too eagerly at the coach, right? Like that's not yeah. a, a good role for, for you as a teammate and especially a, like a young guy, a rookie. So um yeah i remember um i remember we went to columbus uh, i think we played ottawa the night before the night before two nights before um and like hard fought but i think we lost the game and i think that kind of swayed um ron wilson into to leaning towards me for the next start um and again columbus uh they weren't great at that time um and uh yeah like ended up just playing it, pitching a, a bit of a gem guys played really hard in front of me. I think I made 39 saves, but like yeah. I, had a, I'm sure I punted some rebounds around and increased my, my shots against, but uh, yeah, I remember making a save against Rick Nash, um, like a pass through the seam. Uh, he corralled it and like short side shelf. And I remember coming over and being big and like hitting it in there and like holding it. And it was, um, yeah like that's i don't know that i had a like welcome to the to the nhl moment but that one like really gave me a lot of confidence of like okay i like yeah 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 but like now this is like there's not a league above this that i need to do that in i can do that in this league so um yeah and yeah to get to get first win playing in toronto was great um and yeah it was uh um yeah forever grateful to to ron wilson uh he used to bug he used to bug me all the time about uh going to cornell because he was a providence guy him and berkey were providence so that's yeah yeah, he's always i I liked him as a guy and liked him as a coach so certainly grateful to to ronnie for for uh put my name on the the lineup card that was a hell of a way to start your career um so you were part of some pretty pretty uh you know I would say you were part of some goalie carousels where, you know, it's must've been tough to, <laughs> to talk to because very tactful. We're, we're yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, so this was all, this was something I always wondered, like in the past, like you had a number one and a, and a backup and, mm. and, and nowadays you're seeing more like Vegas just won the cup with three goalies. Boston's doing it with two or four goalies. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Boston's doing it with, you know, with two guys that are playing regularly. Is there a mm-hmm. recipe that you think works better or it all depends on the situation of the team? Um, I said I did an interview with uh, um, 
reporter here in Edmonton who's got a radio show, Kevin Carius, and he asked, yeah. we talked a little bit about Oilers goaltending at the moment. And yeah. this was a couple of weeks ago. This was before uh, Campbell uh, was waived and sent down to Bakersfield. Yeah. Um, and like, feel for him. Uh, same thing happened. Same thing happened to me. I was down in Baco. So I've, I've got a lot of empathy for where he's at right now. Um, but like, this is my answer then. And this is my answer now. Like you don't need amazing goaltending to win a Stanley cup. Like it could help, but like, if you're paying, you know, if you're wasting in a salary cap area, if you're wasting cap space on goaltending, when you could be fielding a more competitive lineup top to bottom, you're hamstringing yourself, right? Like, I just don't know. Like Bobrovsky was close. Had Bobrovsky won last year? Like, you know, he's he's an anomaly to what I think. Yeah, well, he is, went on a hell of a run, right? Right. And, and he's a ten million got ten million dollar guy. I yeah. also think that they, they've got a lot of guys on discount. Um, it helps them. I mean, Vegas and Florida. It helps them to be in like income tax free states because uh, mm-hmm. they pitch that as, as for guys taking like a bit of a haircut yeah so they're not losing money but they're freeing up cap space for the team so that they can have a better chance of winning right it's harder yeah. to do that in, in some of the other markets but um <clears throat> yeah i i think i think if you have a good team you got a good team if you have a good team you're gonna have two goalies put up pretty good numbers yeah if you have a so-so team and two goalies that are like different caliber, you're going to see a bit of a, a, a difference in, you know, and that's tends to be where you have like a true number one and like a supporting yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, you got a bad team. Nobody's putting up good numbers. And, and right. that is like kind of the, I think that's kind of where you're, you're at and like not horrible. Like there's obviously different levels of quality of goaltending, right? Like, like I'm not saying, I was as good as Lundqvist or Price or like those yeah. guys were outclassed me by by a margin. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I just don't know. If I'm a GM, I'm spending money in a different area than yeah. like get some serviceable goalies. Like yeah. Allmark, you know, well, well deserving of the Vesna last year, but like two years before was in Buffalo. Buffalo, and yeah. Like, well, I like, I don't know that I heard anybody being like this guy, this guy yeah, is going to be it's a like, great point. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's not a knock on all Mark. Like he's, you have to make the saves you've got to make in order to give your team a chance. But like mm-hmm. if your team's, if your team's playing like San Jose, like you put anybody in there and, and yeah. And you're just like in tough, like you're yeah. stealing. Nobody's going to steal games night in and night out. Right. It's like the league's too good. And it's even better now than when I played. Yeah. I've completely changed my opinion on this over the last few years. Just seeing like, you know, you can't rely on somebody to bail you out all the time. Cause it just only lasts for so long. Um, mm-hmm. And the puck's got to get by five guys before it gets to you. And and if you're just, you know, an average NHL goalie, which is perfectly fine, um, and you're on a, a better team, then you're you're not going to be giving up. You're not going to be having two on ones all night. You're not going to be have like. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think uh, you've definitely persuaded me on that one. And, and, and I've been thinking about that for a long time, because in the past it was just 
if you don't have the best goal, you're not going to win. And and it's just, I think this, the game has changed a lot. And I think, yeah, mm-hmm. the progression. Um, like it's, so, important, it's important for your goalie to be consistent. Yeah. Like you've got to know what they're getting. Yeah. And so like wildly, I would rather have a goalie that gives up the same types of goals all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you just know what you're dealing with versus yeah. like one time it's this way, one time it's that way. And now, you know, your team's just like unsure you like consistency is, is the thing that allows other people to read your teammates to read and react off of you. It's why yeah. like, I, I, I'm maybe pilloried for this, but like playoff hockey is boring hockey because it mm. is, it is generally speaking or historically has been like mistake free hockey. Um, yeah. The Oilers have put that to the test the last couple of years, <laughs> which is like unheard of. And yeah. like just scoring across the league is up. So maybe that's starting to shift, but like by and large, it's like a team game where you're not giving up a ton of like unforced errors is going to give yeah. you the best chance of, of winning. Yeah. There's certainly no space out there in the playoffs. Just everybody's the effort level is, is at max exactly. capacity. Everybody's back checking. Everybody's yeah. playing right yeah yeah for sure um you um you played with some amazing goalies throughout your career and watching what jonathan quick is doing right now like with the rangers mm-hmm. um did you see that coming and and tell me a little bit about quickie um yeah i don't know I, did i see it coming i didn't put a lot of thought into it is yeah is, or could you have predicted that he'd have a resurgence like this at this point because it looked like he lost his job and like uh, things, I mean, things can change quickly. Yeah, he. I mean, he arguably no pun did. intended. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, like he he did lose his job, but like I, again, I if my if my answer to the last question is you don't need yeah. the goalie to win, then like when you're not winning, it's also not strictly like on on that one position, right? Mm. Uh, I think what Phoenix Copley did in LA is like, there's a couple guys who have had those types of runs. Like I'm thinking yeah. of, uh, um, uh, who's a guy in Ottawa. Oh, I can think of his hamburger Hammond, Andrew Hammond, Andrew Hammond. Yeah. Like went on that crazy run. Um, Aiden Hill seems to be bucking that trend, but he kind of went on a crazy run. Yeah. Um, Bennington, uh, same thing kind of goes on a crazy run. Um, kind of came back to earth a little bit, but I think that he's improved. He's on a um, heater right now. <laughs> um, but he's like, he's also, I mean, St. Louis was historically like, it, whenever we played St. Louis, it was like, they were big, heavy, yeah, well tough. Yeah. Like it was going to be tough to win. They, yeah. they could have maybe one more, but like, whatever is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, so like quickie is, I mean, he is a veteran. He knows how to play and he knows how to perform. And he has maintained his uh, his uh, flexibility and his ability yeah. to to like get around on the net. Um, and so, like, he's the type of guy um, that when I talked earlier about like when the game starts, that's that's when things are important. Before that, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. He right. prepared. Like he worked, he worked hard in the gym. Um, I've never seen a goalie squat that long before, but also, yeah. uh, you know, it just has to do with like his, the way his body is built. Right. He's able yeah. to, he's a strong, he's a deceptively strong individual. Okay. Um, but he, uh, yeah. Like he, uh, is he the winningest 
U.S. goalie now? That's a good question. Uh, if, he's not, if he's not, if he's not, he's he's in the top like, three. Yeah, is Miller ahead of him? Ryan like, Miller might be ahead of him. Yeah, regardless, he's like yeah. He might. He, I think he has the most shutouts of any American goalie. So mm. like he like arguably he's one of the best to ever come out of his country. So yeah, am I surprised that he goes to a well coached, disciplined, uh, you know, solid team in? New York and puts up good numbers. Like, no, that's not surprising. Um, it's, uh, it is like on par, like, and again, Louis Domingue, like very serviceable goalie. He's also got like fantastic numbers in in New York in a very small sample size. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So not surprised by, by what quick's doing like great competitor. Anybody who's played with him talks about his like drive to win. Like he really wants to win more than anybody, maybe not more than anybody. He really wants to win. And so that, that drive is is evident. Um, and like kudos to him for embracing the roles that he's embraced. Right. Like he could be too cocky. Like I'm Jonathan quick. Um, why am I, why am I backing up in the playoffs for Vegas? Instead, he's a, you know, he was a, from everything I heard was like a fantastic goalie partner, uh, right. earned himself another ring in that, in that capacity, going to, um, going to New York and, and helping Shesterkin is, uh, or sorry, Sorok. No, Shesterkin. Shesterkin. Yeah. Those Russian guys, yeah. um, helping Shesterkin in like a supporting way and, and, um, lending his expertise and his, his past experience. Like I, he's not like a coach, so to speak, but just having that presence around is, is gotta be helpful for the team. When we're not talking about hockey on Across the Pond, we're usually listening to music. And after the number of hours our headphones spend on our sweaty ear holes, they usually need a little bit of TLC. Luckily, our buddy Brandon from Accessory House Global is there to help. If you're in need of replacement cables, ear pads, or heck, even a brand new carrying case, this is the one-stop shop you need to visit. Check them out on Instagram at TheRealAHG or visit their website at AccessoryHouseGlobal.com. You can even get a 20% discount on your first purchase by typing in ATP20. Tell them across the pond sent ya. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, everyone talks about the different pressures around uh, playing in different cities. Uh, I think you Mm -hmm. explained it pretty thoroughly. Like on the ice, it's on the ice and it kind of maybe doesn't matter once you're playing the game. But the distractions outside Mm -hmm. the rink, is that where a lot of the pressure that people feel comes from like the difference between um, LA and Toronto, like for example. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think there's two parts to it. Like some guys enjoy being in the center of, of, yeah. of the spot. Right. Mm-hmm. Some guys prefer to like fly under the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would probably, lean towards the the former. I like, I enjoyed talking with the media. Um, I, I enjoyed the notoriety, um, that comes with playing in certainly in Canadian markets. Um, it, uh, it can be a lot if you allow it to be a lot. Um, and like, it's, I don't know, I guess it kind of comes down to like, boundary setting a little bit yeah, of like that's great 
for for yourself, right? Like if you want to read everything written about you, you can find it. You can set up a Google alert for yourself and yeah. hear it all. Um, my dad uh, was never like a, a hockey. Um, he didn't know the game in and out. Um, <clears throat> but I remember him telling me kind of fairly early on in my career, whether I think it was whether, I don't remember if he started saying it in college or um, once I was kind of playing pro, but it was like a good adage that, that helped me in at certain points, which is like, you're never as, and he would say it after good games. So he's like, you're never as good as they say you are and you're never as yeah. bad as they say you are. And so yeah. it's, um, I don't know, cliche, I guess, but like also a hundred percent accurate. Right. And, yeah. um, I think that like, <clears throat> as I've transitioned into like an outside role within the, the NHL world and like, I talk to people around here and I'm friends with people who are like oiler crazy. Yeah. They acknowledge, they acknowledge that they are right. And it's, um, they know that they're over the top and it's, it's entertainment, right? Like yeah. you, and if you don't view it as that, as a player, um, it can, it can take on a life of its own. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Doesn't mean it's easy to do because your, your ego can become very tied up in what's being said about you and how you're viewed, especially when you, cause you lose control over those narratives. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of guys, it's an interesting thing, but guys who have kids, uh, while they're playing, like every single guy that had a kid while they're playing, Oh, it changed my perspective. Like, yeah, hundred like percent. Yeah, you're sleep deprived a bit, so like, guys yeah. play and kind of like struggle a little bit. Um, but it's certainly as you get out of that newborn stage, and the kids are just like the kids, and yeah. especially like toddlers and stuff, it's like, yeah. come home, like win, lose, they come home, the kids don't give a shit. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm a lot of swear fine. on this. One. You can just yeah, say I mean, anything you want. Yeah, yeah, like the, the kids don't care, right? Yeah. Like they're even if they care, they forget five minutes later. And so yeah. guys who really struggled to like keep things at the rink, yeah. um, lose a game and they're you know, pouty and not taking it out on their partners, but like you know, mm -hmm. fun to be around. Um, having, having kids, like you just don't have that option to be like grumpy after, after how all many, how many do you have? Uh, I just have one kid at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's, and I, I waited till afterwards. I was, I also, the, the flip side of that coin is like, I also saw how much time the guys missed with their kids because they're right. on the road because you're traveling because you're doing all this stuff. So mm -hmm. yeah, I was, I wanted to make sure that I, um, that I was as present as I could be. Mm -hmm. Um, once, uh, yeah, once that, that was fortunate enough to happen for, for me. So. Well, that's really cool. And and you uh, obviously you had a, an awesome professional career. Um, I want to ask you quickly about your decision to go to the KHL. Was that, mm -hmm. was that something that you thought like might be a path back to the NHL or were you just looking for an opportunity to play hockey again? Um, I think I was, I think I was frustrated with like my perceived treatment. Um, I I thought that I got kind of a raw deal by mm -hmm. a lot of people Edmonton. did. Yeah. Um, not 
Mm, yeah, I'm trying not to air out grievances. Yeah, it's okay. Them, but like, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, sucks to have like your first year as a starter on a team that like weren't or weren't that Was good it? of a team. Yeah. Up. And like I'm part of it not being that good of a team. Yeah. I probably try to do too much. Um, but there's just like stuff around it. Um, and then to kind of have, you know, the axe sort of fall square, not maybe not squarely on the other guys, you know, moved on mm -hmm. as well. But, um, yeah, to have uh to be like waved and sent down to Bakersfield um with like yeah, there's some like questionable stuff in my mind about how how all of that was executed. Um, that like, yeah, I don't kind of rubbed me the wrong way, left me in a in a spot that I like wasn't loving hockey, wasn't loving being down there. Um, was fortunate that ended up getting traded to Montreal and that like kind of reinvigorate, like yeah, reaffirmed. I want to say my first game in first game with Montreal. I'm I like we played in Florida. I made a save off my elbow puck went to the weak side, like as close as I could ever get to the full splits and like robbed Yager on the back door. Yeah. And it's like, it was like, okay, yeah, I still like, I can still play. Like I, I have, I reaffirmed that like innate knowledge I had in myself. Like I can still play. Yeah. Um, and so, but like then yeah, contract talks the next year where I uh, didn't go how I thought they were going to go. I thought I was going to get an opportunity to be a backup somewhere again. Yeah. Yeah. And just didn't happen. Um, I was, I was presented with like a couple options to be, to go be a number three somewhere and work my way back up. Yeah. And I was like, mm, you know, just like been there, done that. I was, I was kind of frustrated with the politics from, from, the past year mm -hmm. and that's like, okay, like, I'm just going to go play. Um, it's going to be an opportunity to, um, to be like kind of the undisputed starter, um, playing meaningful hockey. The, like the money was, was good. Um, like you're, yeah, but he was good. Did you have uh, fun playing in Russia? Because like anyone, that, everyone that I've talked to that's been there, it's been like some people absolutely loved it, and other people are like this is not where I should be. <laughs> yeah, so I enjoyed my time. I played in in Minsk in Belarus for a year, and it really yeah. helped to have. There was quite a few Europe or quite a few North American and European guys, and guys that I played in in the NHL with on that team um guys i still talk to and and got along with quite well um so yeah we like really enjoyed that season and especially being able to play and and having an opportunity to play hockey on like my terms was yeah was like important and felt good um and then um yeah i like truthfully i was planning on going to to minsk and like calling it a career yeah um, and then uh got another offer in Russia again for a different team. Um, and it was the, the allure of the Olympic, the possibility of the Olympics that like had me sign and, and go play another yeah. year. Um, and then, uh, uh, but yeah, people, the guys that, and this is a generalized statement. So like, obviously not applicable to everybody, but the guys who don't enjoy their time in Russia, I think, tended to lean towards the guys who like hadn't traveled um hadn't been pushed out hadn't had their um 
their horizons broaden that much, uh, yeah. just in like a life experience yep. state sense. Like I was really fortunate to travel with my family when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, can, I knew that things were going to be different and like right. people were, your expectations were in the right spot. Yeah. It's like you go, you go to a, a country like Russia or Belarus and you expect all the things that you have in North America and the same lifestyle. Yeah. It's like, it's just not going to happen. Right. right. The, the rank were different. The, you know, there's, there's like a whole bunch of cultural stuff that has been like well-documented, but um, if you're, if you're not able to roll with those punches, then you're, you're going to struggle a little bit. And um, <clears throat> yeah, it was uh, an interesting experience for me. There's uh, a lot that I learned about Russians and, and the Rus- Russian culture. Um, some things like I have more respect for um, in terms of how they operate. Some things uh, are <laughs> remain um, questionable in my mind, but like, yeah, it's not my culture. So I, I, I was yeah. just, able to to see it and interpret it in a way that uh was filtered through my the lenses that i had so mm-hmm. um yeah like i enjoyed my time there met some some great people and um you know i still keep in touch with some of my friends from over there yeah um in the retirement um and yeah it was uh yeah it was, it was an interesting two years that's for sure i can imagine but it sounds like you made the best of it and uh, when the decision finally came, was it tough for you to hang them up? Uh, no. no, sorry, I answered too quickly there. That's all right. Uh, no, it wasn't that hard. Um, it was really hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, like I, again, I was ready to retire the year before that. Okay. Um, and it was, I got a chance to play at the Olympics and I, you know, play one more year pro. Um, I had a, I had a contract in, um, in Switzerland if I wanted it and I, I was, mm-hmm. I was ready for my, my next steps. Um, yeah, like the, my team in Russia, good guys on the team. Like part of what made Minsk so good is like, I thought we had a really good coach. Um, like I really liked him. I respected him a lot, liked playing for him. That was like less so the case in, in Ufa. Um, and like, you know, just a little bit of, of clash of personalities. So, um, ended up being what it was, but like second half of the year, uh, you know, there was just some like weird stuff going on and, um, that happens in Russia, right? You're, you don't have, it's, it's not your home turf. So like weird things happen and you got to kind of roll with it. And I think I certainly didn't help my my own cause that much uh, i didn't i wasn't prepared to play the game so to speak i wasn't prepared to like engage in like the politics of yeah of what have taken and uh, you know that was that's my decision to make and nobody else owns that but me um mm-hmm. and it made some of my life harder but it also was like where i was at at that moment mm. interesting um you seem like such a well about <laughs> You seem like such a well-balanced guy, man. It's uh, it's it's awesome, and I, w- I would just want to finally uh, tell me a little bit about like what you're doing now, um, how you're staying in the game, and 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 how life has been post post retirement. Yeah, I mean, like ups and downs. I think that's one of the challenges that a lot of guys face is uh, you kind of come from a world where you the the yeah the world's your oyster. Mm-hmm. Um, and your identity can, it's really easy to have your identity be wrapped up in your job. 
um, I was really fortunate to have like good people around me um, and spend time during my off seasons, taking classes and, and doing stuff. Like I mentioned my friends from high school and like to, you know, have friends who are, you know, um, you know, plumbers and HVAC and ticketed tradesmen, mm-hmm. who, like treat you the way they've always treated you. And, right. and uh, um, those are the types of relationships that help keep, keep you balanced and help keep you grounded. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly I've had some challenges uh, in the transition, but, um, I feel like I'm in a, a good spot, uh, presently and, um, working, doing some work with the NHL alumni association, uh, feels really meaningful and, and, mm. uh, I'm happy with that role doing a little bit of coaching. Um, it's nice to, to kind of give back to, to kids. Um, and you know, there's a, um, uh, like a, a camp of like young kids, like like U eleven, U nine, U seven, and like when your only goal is the, as the coach is to make sure the kids have fun, it's yeah. like it's the easiest job, and it's so what's it's better so than fun. that? Yeah, the kids are great. It's it's uh, an amazing way to spend Saturday morning. So, um, so yeah, like I'm I'm uh, like just plodding along, so to speak. I'm I'm happy to to kind of stay in, involved with the game kind of from an arm's length. Um, yeah. yeah. But, uh, when I look back five years ago to where I am now, like never would have guessed any of that. And right. if I go back 10 years, like I wouldn't have guessed what five years before. So <clears throat> if I sit here and try and guess what I'm going to be doing five years from now, uh, like, who knows almost a fool's errand. Um, yeah. not dissimilar from, I guess how I approached my minor hockey. Of course. Yeah. I guess just being able to wake up with a purpose every day is what, what makes life life. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're to get up good people around you and um, you know, you're in the Mazos hierarchy sense, all all of your your immediate needs taken care of. Yeah. That's incredible, man. I've, I've, uh, really enjoyed talking to you. And before I get to our, um, overtime questions, um, who's the best defenseman you've ever played behind and why? Um, I mean, I, I think Drew Doughty probably has to be the top guy. I mean, obviously, uh, Norris trophy winner. Um, he's, he's just fun, affable, a skill set that, is um it doesn't look like he's working hard he's just he is just so good at what he does um and he um he was younger when i played with him and so he was what he was like good enough to be in the leadership group and was like part of that those conversations but like they had the robin regears the willie mitchells uh dustin browns kopitars uh even johnny quick like they kind of had their uh um, Justin Williams, Jared Stoll, they had the like leadership group. And so he got mm-hmm. to just play and be yeah. fun. And, um, yeah, it was made my, my job, my job and every other goalie's in LA's job a lot easier. That's awesome. And yeah, you could certainly see that progression for Dowdy. Um, that's interesting. I didn't see that coming to be honest. I didn't say, think you were going to say Drew Dowdy, but I guess it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, before we get to the overtime questions, uh, I have to thank my new podcast agent, uh, Robbie Shrem for setting this up. Great guy. 
Yeah. Yeah. Great guy doing great things over here. And I appreciate what he's doing and, and, and making this connection with you. So I got a section, a segment of the show, uh, Ben, where I just asked the same 10 generic questions, rapid fire questions to you. And okay. then once, and then one special one at the end, just, just for you. All right. So here we go. Habs okay. or Leafs. Oh, um, can I pass? I played for no. both of them. Can't pass. Oh. Mm, I can't. I can't give you an answer. All who's right. Your favorite, me... Who's your favorite kid? I don't. Know. I I love my time in both cities. I have like I don't watch hockey. I don't watch hockey in like a. I. This is the team that I want to win. It's, yeah. I have like I. Play, I played in the minors against. Um, uh, Gallagher, Brent Gallagher and played with yeah. him like great guy. Um, no, I think you know. you're uniquely qualified to, to, uh, to not answer that question since you did play for both teams. Uh, I'm, number I'm two is part of both alumni groups. Yeah. <laughs> that's a tough one for you. I get Don't it. Bite the feeds. <laughs> All right. Lemieux or Gretzky. Um, oh, see, you know, what's pro what I am the problem in this. I don't do rapid fire questions very easily because there's <laughs> that's fine. We'll, we'll, I always ask for context. Like yeah. who would I want to be who do I want to face? Who would I want on my team? Um yeah. There's really no context. It's a, it's kind of like the first like overall. Who I think is, yeah. Uh, better at better at their craft. I mean, I think you have to go Gretzky. Um, okay. but like Lemieux probably did it with a, a smaller supporting cast so okay and and had a shorter career too right for, very true probert or dolmy um probert okay wa or Baudet? oh um probably probably patrick but like Hashik's the best goalie to ever play. So. Oh, good answer. Good answer. Uh, or or Lidstrom? Um, I think Lidstrom. Okay. I think Lidstrom. Uh, Claude Lemieux or Brad Marchand? Um, I mean, I've skated with Brad. Good guy. Um, he's, annoying. he's annoying to play against. I'm sure. But like, he's... Uh, I I take Marchant because he's he is a better hockey player. He's like okay. more he brings more to a team, I think. Iserman or Messier? Iserman, uh, I think. Okay. Bowman or Burns? Mm, do I have to just keep answering all the Detroit? We'll go Bowman just for continuity. Okay. Ron <laughs> or Don? Um, well, Ron's from Alberta, uh, mm -hmm. and he, and he's a referee. Uh, he is. I chatted with him. He used to, uh, broadcast the Calgary stampede on CBC all the time. So I yeah. went down with the family and, and, uh, uh, was at the stampede parade and, and chatted with him for a little bit. Um, I think, I mean, I loved Rockham Sockham hockey. It's hard to, yeah, hard me to say. Too. it's hard to go against on, but we, Don and I see the world differently, so I'm gonna go wrong. Okay, last one. Shootout or no shootout? Uh, if it's no shootout, does it go to a tie? No. 
Play to the end. It just, it just goes continuous OT? Yeah. Yeah, continuous OT, 100%. Awesome. Yeah. All right, one final one for you. Was there ever a rink that you played in that was hardest, like with bad sight lines, like funky bounces, hardest rink to I, play in? I, I wish I could burn Appleton Arena to the ground. It is, <laughs> it is um, St. Lawrence University's uh, rink. And mm -hmm. it's like all like lacquered wood uh, stands, uh, like bleachers. Mm -hmm. um, very, very flammable, I would hope. I got, I got pulled my freshman year, my sophomore year, my junior year in that rink. Like it was my name. Oh, yeah. I got pulled every single game. Later and up. Like, and like not even, not even like the first probably game I didn't play great. Second game, uh, give and take. Third game, like, three off of just like defenseman's shin pads like right. oh my god and then it felt like a curse and so it was my senior year i exercised the demons and and came out with a one one tie and i was like that's yeah. as good of a <laughs> yeah that's, that's awesome that's appleton. really cool appleton all right burn it down burn it down uh ben thank you so much uh been really an interesting conversation i hope everyone enjoys uh your your outlook on the game i certainly think it's uh something worth sharing. So thank you so much for giving me so much of your time on a Friday night back home. I uh, wish you nothing but the best, but uh, in your post life yeah. or post career life. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Keep fighting the good fight overseas, man. We will buddy. Thanks. That was across the pond and that's a wrap. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to our amazing sponsors, the China hockey group, wheel hub, Asia, accessory house, global.com Yardley brothers, beer, and of course, Sunset Studio. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Across the Pond HK. Email us, send in your comments and questions to the show at any time at Across the Pond HK at gmail.com.